Thank you so very much, and welcome to another episode of Talking Cloud. My name's Grant Asplund. I'm your host, and man, I am so excited to be back with you today. You know, I always tell you guys that I'm the luckiest one on the planet because I get to talk to some of the most amazing, brilliant people in the industry, uh, but I'm just a Gilligan. But I've got a great professor today, man. I was just reading through his bio, and it's like unbelievable. The guy, long in the tooth in this technical space and consulting. And I think an interesting thing uh, that we're seeing more and more of today in the industry with the growth of SASE and you know, that's a not, not everybody can untie. And so the, the level of consultative services that are, uh, I think, being required today more and more are increasing. And this guy's obviously got a lot of background there. But let me just run through this. I can't take it too much time because holy moly, it'd be the whole program. But suffice to say, 97, 98, he's back in the engineering space, enterprise architect, moved through, was a president, it looks like, uh, advanced beyond computers for four years. I'd like to ask him about what that is. Then he was at EMC, and this was early, uh, 04, 07, uh, was at Keen that ended up getting picked up by NTT, continues on chief, informa- uh, chief technology officer at uh, L3 Stratus, and I do remember L3 Communications uh, real well. Uh, he was there for a few years. He went on, wow, U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That one's a, a full of uh, compliance and GRC, I'll bet. Uh, he was chief technology officer there for uh, nearly three years. Went off and then adjunct assistant professor for cybersecurity, uh, University of Maryland, adjunct f- uh, faculty at ECPI University and Newport News, Virginia, then on to uh, Global Vice President, Chief Information Security Officer, and M&A Consolidation Integration SaaS Security Compliance to be uh, complete. And this is at Perfect Commerce. He was there for nearly three years. On to President and Chief Information Security Officer at Padlon, if I'm saying that correctly, now better than five years. Then market entry business model consultant, which I thought is an interesting little wedge in there I want to hear about because it's in Sao Paulo. Maybe that might have had something to do with it. On to Truist, where five and a half years he's moved up from group vice president, head of cloud security advisory, uh, GVP, head of cloud security management, SVP, head of cloud operations, currently SVP, cloud security, cyber defense. But wait, there's more uh, venture advisor for Glilot. Capital Partners in the wonderful town of Tel Aviv. I know well, that's where my headquarters, company's headquarters is. And then also currently managing partner and co-founder of Elat Partners. I remember when I first saw that, I thought, I wonder, hey, is he in Elat? But no, he's in Virginia. And with right. that long preamble, I'm so excited to have a conversation <laughs> with John Sargent. John, thank you so much, man, for being here. No, thank you. Uh, that was a, a great introduction. Thank you very much. Um, well, I mean, I, I always 
I, I kind of read backgrounds of different people. And this is, I mean, it's quite impressive. I'm interested in kind of pulling on a couple of the threads that I saw there, but really sure. I just kind of skipped over it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how it, how it rolled and, you know, really we'll, we'll discuss however you want to uh, go if, or sure. maybe those guitars behind you, whatever, whatever works. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh the, the guitars is a short story, um, you know, it's cybersecurity and, and this job can be very um, technical and intense. And that's one of my releases from that is to uh, sit and, and strum the guitar a little bit and, and stop thinking about other stuff. And uh, Nice, cathartic know, for you. It, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, you, you mentioned Sao Paulo. And that was an interesting little side um side uh, project uh while i was working on my mba uh we had to do a, a project with uh with a company and i've, I've been in aviation for a long time i, I got my mm. pilot's license back i think in 96 and so i had the opportunity to work with um with one of the Embraer's subsidiaries that's building the electric uh electric vehicles um so part of my uh that, that project was to go down to Sapalo to look at um, what they were, how they were bringing that to market and give them some advice um, on how, you know, how pilots might take it, uh, take that, how uh, consumers might look at it. So it was, it was very interesting, very different than my normal work. Yeah. Um, but what a great uh, experience. I'm though. Passionate about. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, yeah, and uh, I can't mean, say enough about the great people in Brazil. Well, yeah. Um, isn't it, what is it? Uh, is it, uh, Caipareñas, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah they, <laughs> they're, uh, they're special drinks. I'll get somebody who yes, will correct yes. me, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love Brazil, Sao Paulo, a great city, very interesting. Uh, and I think what's it is kind of fascinating. I just saw a little blurb on the unbelievable progress that's been made in electric, smaller aviation uh but this guy's predicting full-on you know 737 oh. sized planes they'll be flying uh electric because the advancements are uh, just really That's, rapidly yeah. moving along in the battery area especially right yeah, battery and motor efficiency i mean I, I, you know obviously not my area but that's um it, it's amazing that what what can be done with batteries now that wouldn't have been even a, a thought 10 years yeah. ago. I mean, yeah. Well, this one was also like the, you know, the vertical takeoff rotating sure. uh, uh, props. And I mean, it's, it's remarkable, but that is interesting how that, and I knew there was, there had to be a story and I was looking, I know you had got your MBA here just a few years ago and I thought, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. But really you've spent a lot of time I mean, you've been in the cloud a long time, relatively sure. speaking, right? I mean, uh, w since we started using that term, I mean, you could say uh, you yeah. did uh, programming on the uh, 3090, <laughs> and that was the cloud, yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I, I remember the, certainly remember the 3090 days, but, um, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I was teaching uh, kind of an introduction to what cloud uh, to to cloud computing at uh, at University of Maryland um, sometime mm -hmm. back, and that, that was one of the classes that I taught, talked about uh, a class about how to um, estimate cost and to re and to do ROI on cloud because it was such a new 
platform and a very different model for technology. Everyone was used to large capital expenditure and then depreciation over a period and you know, five-year cycles. Right, and so it's free. It's, 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 it's free, right. so it's going to save me thousands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, until someone, wait a minute, now my operational budget is five times what it was. <laughs> right. And I have no capital expenditure to depreciate. So, you know, there was, that and, was a big discussion for a lot of Not folks. even how you, mentioning. How do you deal with it? Yeah, not, not, not even mentioning the security vulnerabilities that weren't properly cleaned up, weren't properly deleted because we were so overzealous on spinning up that app, right? Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the first things that I was working on in the governance side for cloud was um, how do you how do you maintain uh, a, a strong governance model for something that now the developers have so much freedom mm. and necess necessarily they have that much freedom because you need them to be effective. You need them to be, um, you know, agile and, and pushing the boundaries. But at the same time, particularly in, in the bank you know, and, in, and in any other kind of highly regulated industry, you need to be able to show appropriate governance. Yep coupled with that agile uh agile development and that's a that's a challenge um yeah. there's certainly tools to do it and help you do it but you know it requires a shift from the top you know people have to understand the projects are going to be budgeted differently um you need to be able to iterate and fail uh and drop a project and not have committed a huge budget to it let it go uh, and then be, be prepared to reallocate that budget to something that works. And, mm. uh, and that's, that's a challenge for accounting departments. It's a challenge for technology departments. It's a challenge for security yep. to keep up with that rate of change. Yep. Um, it, a, it's very, it's a very different thing. You know, John, I'm a, uh, I'm always an analogy guy and, you know, it oversimplifies for sure. But m my analogy is, you know, the old world, it was a lake. Now it's a river. You know, yeah. It, 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 yeah, maybe there was a little shift because there was some wind. Maybe there was a little bit of drift, but it was the lake. You know, the fluctuation was how high it was on the uh, in the winter and how much it went down in the summer. Um, a river's always moving, has those same seasonal influences as well, but constantly changing. And I think that that really kind of epitomizes the challenge you have to go through when you step from this box that you've known so well to one that is always under churn, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because it, 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 I can see, a, a, you know, having been in, the, in technology for so long, you certainly see the cycle of, consolidation distribution distribution consolidation distribution but um but the rate of change uh, is so much faster yep um they i mean you know it used to be a, a, a software company might release a you know a new version <laughs> an update what once a quarter and you know maybe there was a patch once a month you know, Amazon's making changes to to hundreds of services every week it just requires automation it requires uh to be connected to so many more components yep. and be able to assimilate all that information figure out what's really changed from your perspective and be ready to make uh, appropriate adjustments um it, it it requires so much more you know so much more automation but conveniently the automation and those tool the tools that are available to us are moving at the same rate uh, but 
but being able to adopt the new tool and understand how it's going to impact your environment, um, that that's still a challenge. I'm sure it will continue to be a challenge. And to trust the automation. I mean, that's one of the sure. things I always find really remarkable is there's a really, I mean, there are a lot of really cool automated tools, right? I mean, we even, sure. uh, Checkpoint has something called CloudBots, which is an open source right. project, right? Where you can create these bots that'll virtually do anything. So if, if <laughs> in your... Uh, product, you do a search and it discovers buckets unencrypted, just as a stupid example, you could sure. have a bot that absolutely automatically will encrypt it. Now, right. a lot of people won't do that because it doesn't have context, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and that's the problem. But it, it, I always find it interesting how, how, how much people talk about automating, but how few people automate completely, right? No. It's right up to, and, and maybe that's okay if they can do it efficiently, right? Up to the edge right. where the decision point is. Right, and, and yeah, you're right that, that often the application that's automation does lack business context. And, and certainly that's the value of, of the individuals that are there that do understand that. Um, if you can leverage the automation in a way to filter all of the just cascade of information to give you the important points, and you, right. you do need to trust the automation and you need to test the automation. You know, um, there, there are a lot of folks who do trust and then don't test. And right. then when you realize it wasn't doing what you wanted to do, well, now, you know, now it's too late. Or you're getting um, phone calls because something's broken. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah. Phone calls from a, a reporter, right? That's what we all don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the worst one. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking through, you know, in the last five years, which, you know, since 2018, um, it's all been heading cloud security one way or another or operations. Sure. So in that time, you know, I recall in 2018, uh, there was the rumblings of uh, Gartner's now infamous 99% uh, of all failures will be the customer's fault uh, due to misconfiguration. That, sure. you know, 90 plus 8% will be using three, now they're saying four, five clouds. Uh, what do you see there, and and are are you expecting repatriation at all based on some of the things we talked about earlier about really doing cost analysis? Where where you sure. where, where do you sit on all that? You know, um, I think from a you know for a smaller company, right, your startup, early stage, certainly there's huge benefit to cloud platform, right? Your 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 investment can be very easily tied to customer, tied to adoption. Um, it can be very easy to plan what the cost of your product is or your service is because yeah. it's a per unit cost, right? It's really, really easy to do. But you get to an enterprise, um, if you don't plan your move to the cloud well, it's definitely not going to save you money. And in, very, in many cases, it's going to cost you more money because the things that you took for granted before on a on a capital investment of, hey, I'll just leave the server running even though it's not doing anything. I might use it in the future, but you know, whatever. It's elect it's a little bit of electricity and and you know it's already sunk cost. Right? I don't worry about it. 
But now, you know, if you're not using it and you don't, you don't turn it off, well, you know, you, you're paying for that server plus, you know, Amazon's profit on the server and, yep. you know, or whatever, or Google's. You're, you're or, certainly or, not just paying for the electricity to keep it on. Yeah, exactly. And um, so the, you know, the um, responsibility of cost management is in a different place than it is, uh, than it was before. Right? I mean, cost management was a accounting function, right? You know, you, you'd, you'd get a budget, you'd submit a proposal, you'd get the approval, you'd go buy the stuff. Right. Now, that the person in the engineer in the department who builds the server can turn it on or turn it off. Can can and can uh, potentially pick the wrong model server that costs ten times what it should have cost. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult to retroactively go back and and find that and fix it and and you know make an appropriate change. So you have to you have to move the responsibility and move the uh, deal with costs much faster. Um, ensure you have you know almost daily visibility and alerting on what the what the costs are for for all of these components that yeah. before you didn't it, it just didn't matter right? you, you you bought it you're going to depreciate it over five years the little That's, fluctuations here and there weren't going to cause anything all, all the things you're talking about quite frankly John are why I really believe a, a CSPM is mm-hmm. is, is going to be just so. Everybody's going to have some sort of posture management Absolutely. in the cloud, right? Because it's so fundamental and critical. That's not to say all are going to have a full-on platform from you know code to cloud and deployment, but that function of of giving oh, sure. posture, it just seems like it's everybody has it now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think you should. I don't think even a small organization should be in the cloud without some type of CSPM. Well, there's and the too, cloud vendors are too much sales, right? They they're even sure. offering it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I mean, you need. You, there's too many capabilities for for change uh, right. without you know without you having to stare at the console all day long. Yeah. So you need something to to be looking for you and and giving you the appropriate alerts and that. Um, and I think the. Um, you said no, one, you know, not everyone's going to have a full blown uh, solution, but I think you know a lot of the CSPM products have a little bit of cost management and a little bit of uh, yeah. you know drift detection, a little you know, it, um, and and yeah, you absolutely need it. You can, I don't think you can get you can operate reasonably without it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I was talking about multi cloud. Where do you stand on that? Do you, do you see that actually continuing? And then also, what's your uh, expectation of repatriation? Because I've heard some people speak pretty strongly about that. Others, not not so much. Yeah, I mean, I think um, on the, well, let's first talk about um, multi cloud because there is value in each cloud provider and how it interacts with an application. And so, you know, yeah, there's, there's certainly reasons that I would choose to put an application in an Azure environment, say, rather than a GCP environment, rather than a, a, an AWS environment or, you right. know, or the same thing for all those. But right. there are, there is enough redundancy if an application is properly architected within each one of those platforms that I don't think, Having a single application coexist in two cloud providers provides uh, comparable value to the cost, right? There's so mm-hmm. much complexity and de- differences between an application hosted in native in AWS and hosted in native in, say, Azure. 
to uh, to build an application that functions in both simultaneously when right. you can deal with you know you can use availability zones and and uh, and uh, regions and use one platform leverage the high availability that's there rather than trying to do multi-platform but but each yeah. cloud service provider has their own yeah. their own benefits and drawbacks so you know I'm a heavy I, I think AD a multi-cloud shop, right sure I, mean, I, I mean, think a multi-cloud strategy makes sense Yep. Just not a single application multi-cloud strategy because yeah, that layers complexity. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, if you're a big enterprise, if for nothing else, then for leverage, right? To sure. have a little bit more control over where the fulcrum is because if you're a large enterprise and you're just eating out of one trough, it, it, you may not be doing yourself a favor. So what about repatriation, John? What do you, what do you think about, because there was all this rush to the cloud and, you know, I've heard right. some organizations, some financial institutions, right? Pulling back. Where are you right. on that? You know, I, I mean, there are certainly some, some systems that cloud is not the right solution for, right? I mean, if you're still running a mainframe, Mainframe emulation is not a is not a thing I would I would think uh, an organization like that's going to use right. Mm-hmm. It's it's not enough of a cost savings. It's there's a lot of complexity required. You keep your mainframe on your data center, right? I mean, there are certainly systems that you want to have um, you want to have internal, and there are some systems that are potentially that are big enough. That and they're stable enough, their their consumption's consistent that you can make good forecasts and and go ahead and, and make a big capital purchase and purchase it for five years and let it sit and and you know and run and right. the, the per cycle cost of that is substantially lower if if again if it's stable if you have an application right. that has a, a gigantic spike at the end of each month. Well, yeah, cloud's a great place for that to sit, right? Um, and if you re-architect it to be event-driven, cloud's a great place for that to sit. Yep. Um, that elasticity. But, uh, but yeah. Exactly. I mean, those are those are huge benefits that, yeah. that the cloud provides by, you know, by being so large and um, and, and giving you access to resources that you haven't yet paid for, yeah. uh, and you just pay for when you need them. But your point is, I think, so spot on. I've, I've heard this from. So many on this program in various episodes, and it's about have a plan. Don't, because a lot of, I mean, let's face it, man, the cloud makes it real, real easy to ready, fire, aim. Uh, And you can get into trouble, right? Sure. You absolutely. And I I think, I mean, they're they're driven by, you know, their own, um, their own preservation, but you know, cloud service providers are, of course, going to tell you about all the benefits and not about all the costs. And so, you know, it sounds like you know this nirvana of um, I, you know, I can run everything and it's going to be cheaper and faster and more flexible. And well, potentially, is what I would say is not not yes, but potentially. Right. But you have to do the first the work up front and be prepared to make the investments in rearchitecting applications so that you're taking advantage of the things that let you be. More right. flexible and more cost cost efficient, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of I think a lot of the message gets um, to the to the people that want to hear it cheaper, faster, um, and don't ask about uh, how much work it's going to be to get from now to there. Right, right. 
it, it doesn't magically happen. So have you heard the um, have you heard the phrase pets versus farm animals in the in the context of cloud computing? I, I think it's an interesting notion. Um, and the idea is, you know, when you think about where we were uh, 20 years ago, right? Uh, we, our servers, I mean, we named them, right? I mean, they, they were, we, we patched them, we kept them, we coddled them, we, oh, you got to be careful with her. Uh, yeah. They were, they were our pets. And then eventually they would die. And we put them on a raft and shoot burning arrows to them, right? <laughs> so, but farm animals, it's a little bit more gruesome, right? Time sure. to eat. And, and yeah. so with the advent of things like Lambda and other function capabilities, to be able to literally spin it up, the idea right. of... No longer worrying about drift. It's essentially a control alt delete and just build a new one today, right? So it's like a, oh. a brand new one every morning or every week or or whatever. Right. No, I, that's absolutely true. And I, I don't remember who it was, um, but I, I was reading a, a case study about an um, organization that all of their servers had a something um, ludicrously short, like a 90-second uh, lifespan. Uh, they would spawn uh, spawn the, the, the server. It would join a farm. It would run for a minute. It would another one would come behind it, and it would so that they didn't worry about patching because the image that the systems were spawned from could be patched once, and then the system you know, everything would be patched in a couple minutes. Yep. Um, because it, you know, we're constantly responding. Obviously, the complexity to get that in place is huge, but there's there's definitely benefit um, oh. in operational efficiency afterwards. Um, but in that yeah, in that case, you don't care at all about the server and uh, itself. Yeah, we, I think it's we see that same. I mean, yeah, no, it's if, a good if, idea. If, if, if there's architect, and look, this is where you know I'm the uh, Gilligan, you're the professor, but <laughs> but for me, I think if I can ensure that my data is held separate from sure. that, right, so that I can um, maintain and replicate that store of the of the gold, right, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the engine that's processing it, you know. I get a new one every morning, shiny and new. Sure. To me, it right. seems like it seems brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that was the kind of stuff you, you talked about working at EMC. VMware was had been acquired by VMC at that time, and that was I was working with a team that was that was EMC slash VMware, mm -hmm. and that was the, you know right you, you've got the data on a sand compute is an abstract. Um, yep. the right the right connectivity and and you didn't it didn't matter what sort what what compute resources went up and down or how many there were yep. um the data was was safe the data was replicated in in multiple ways so it it was not only safe but it was uh it was available highly available yep um yeah yeah and so it, the capabilities that that disconnection between compute and data um, brought 
you know, that was the beginning of what happened with the cloud. You know, you start to totally. commoditize compute, start to commoditize memory. I remember the, what was it? Cisco had their UCS servers came out, um, what, around early 2000s. Um, yeah. That were modular and, you know, so, so um, your network switch, was modular. They came out with their virtual right, everything It was huge. Yeah, the, and it, yeah. it, it um, that it's funny because you know Cisco was kind of behind the eight ball. See, I was really lucky back in the day. I I and it's, I was employee number eight at a company called Altor Networks that built the okay. first purpose built firewall for the mm -hmm. VM environment, VMware environment, right? Okay. And because there were new things, right? Like uh, sure. vMotion and and the ability for a uh, and, and inter-VM communications, there were no tools for visibility for that. It was a new phenomenon. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I remember that whole era. It was, But it was the birth, thank you, Stanford, um, <laughs> of, of, of what we have now as cloud, right, in, in this elastic right. compute. Right. I mean, that was, what, that was the, the key to it, right? I mean, that, that's... You can call. I mean, you can call a, a VMware environment on premise a cloud. I mean, it has all the same components, right? Um, and and VMware did right. The VMware had had um, their V uh, what's it, a VMAX or whatever that was. There was a private cloud, and even had a front end on it, an orchestration front end. So it was very much like um, what cloud service providers are now. Yep. Um, but yeah, that that virtualization of components definitely unlocked oh. everything that's cloud now. It's and it's awesome, you know. And I think when you when you, when you one of the things that I always love to do, because you know, my Andy Warhol fifteen minutes of fame, you know, the first Macintosh computer that Alaska Airlines and Warehouser and a handful of other companies bought, I sold to them. And and mm. you know, we're talking nineteen eighty six, okay, and this machine had one megabyte of ram no okay. hard drive extremely limited but built-in networking mm -hmm. and so today I, I you know 650 gigabytes oh. <laughs> and i really do think it's bandwidth connectivity compute and storage Th those sure. things as they have continued to just explode the right. rules are changing, John. Remember, before we had to write an app and care where it resided and how big the data set was and where it was and how it was going to get the. I mean, all those rules are going away as we get faster and faster and faster delivery and compute right. and, and, and more storage to where, I mean, I'm really excited and I kind of, I'm constantly kind of trying to think of where's it going to go? How's this going to change? Um, because the amount of compute, you know, I don't know if they're still referring to it as Moore's law, but right. it's, it's, I think it's, so. I think we're still, it's still going. Yes. And, and, you know, I don't know what, and to be honest, I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around quantum computing and how that is going to change, you know, the, the transition from binary to, to quantum, I, it, it, that, it's so different. Mm. I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it. 
Um, but the the ability of, of that level of processing and and iteration capability that that's coming is just and that's where we have to go though we yep. at some point you can only do one and zero so fast yeah and so we got to start looking at, at you know at the next the next generation of computing yeah and you know I predict that um, the wonderful AI is going to be instrumental in helping us truly. Sure. Uh, maximize because you know that's the one thing I've I've been you know thinking a lot about lately because it's the topic Mm -hmm. du jour you know everybody wants to talk about it and it's quite extraordinary I have to ask there's a video uh, I highly I mean highly 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 encourage you to watch it it's on YouTube it's called the AI Dilemma Okay. And and it's it's from the Center for Humane Technology. Uh, the two co-founders do it's an hour seven and an hour and seven minutes, seven and a half minutes. But I'm telling you, man, it is so good because what it does is it just explains in lay terms, you know, what's going on, what what happened. Uh, why it, you know, when everything went to language, you know, transformer, uh, and 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 what the impact that had, because now we get that exponential, exponential. All everybody's work mm-hmm. is contributing to everybody else's. Um, right. But there's also some disturbing or concerning parts. I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, you know, AI in general and, and what, what you're thinking. I mean, I'm not a doomsdayer yet, but there's definitely reason to tap the brakes, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, um, a function of, um, kind of human morality that's missing, right? It has all the knowledge. It's able to access all the knowledge and all the previous decisions, but the reasoning behind the decisions isn't necessarily contained in the decision itself. And, and um, I mean, just, just showing uh, some of the studies that showed how quickly an AI model can become biased to the, to the people who, um, who contribute to it shows that it doesn't have any filters. You know, it's yep. taking everything as, as the same value. And, I mean, and similarly, the, um, I think there were a few uh, lawyers who were recently um, were using AI to do uh, to do some case research, which is certainly a great use for it. Um, but the AI didn't know the difference between real cases and things that it created based on inputs. And mm-hmm. so then these uh, you know these attorneys uh, ended up reference referencing precedent from cases mm-hmm. that didn't actually happen that the AI had created. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it treated all that the same. So there's a there's a missing, uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll work on that. Right, that'll be an improvement to make um, to to guardrail to to steer the the AI in a way that um, that helps to provide a more um, a more moral framework for how it deals. And I don't I don't mean necessarily a particular ideology. I just mean this is real, this is not real, this is appropriate, this is inappropriate, and this is how you, you, know, you need to guide uh, how you incorpor- incorporate and, and, uh, and deal with information. Well, you could argue. But obviously that's open to bias, right? You, right. And, 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 I mean, couldn't you argue um, there is a bias? 
simply because it's impossible to make it unbiased. I, I, right. I mean, because there's a human that's that's doing it, right? Uh, sure. I mean, this is, and and you know, there are all kinds of things that we don't even realize, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we're biased, and we are. So AI, the whole thing, I guess for me, and I I encourage you to take a look at. Uh, that video, if you've not watched it, it really is worth the hour. Um, sure. I always, I'm not the smartest in the room, but anytime I've in math, for example, when there's an equal sign, you know, and whatever you have after it, you can work your way back through that equation to figure out how you got it. And sure. there's some things that are happening in the world of LLMs that, Generative AI, we, we, we can't necessarily explain why English in, English out, nothing else, parameters got larger and larger, and then one day answered in Peruvian. A and nobody knows why. So right. that's the stuff that kind of makes me want to give pause. Sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, when you have so much distributed contribution to a lot of these um all of these large language models, um, there's once you introduce it, you've you've opened you lost control. It's it's doing things based on inputs, and and if the rules that you constrained it with weren't specific enough, it may go in a direction you never imagined. And clearly, you know, several of them have. Yeah. Um, and and you know that's. That's the, um, I guess it's a challenge, um, you know, and then, you know, like machine learning models, there was so much more feedback, right? That, that's, that's what I expected. That's what I don't expect, you know, slowly training it to, to recognize what you're expected to recognize. But these, the, the AI models, particularly these, there's not a feedback loop like that. It has to do right. its own feedback loop and decide. Yeah. It's um, almost a closed on, loop for itself. And right. Have you have you watched any of the interviews of Hinton, who's you know the grandfather of AI, the guy who came up with the whole neural networks, uh, you know, years ago, and has proven he was the guy at Google that just recently. Yeah. Okay. Quit. Yes. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton is his name. Mm -hmm. You can look up. Um, there was an interview he did on CBS. Uh, uh, that's a really good one. That's about 45 minutes. And then there's another a shorter one that he did with uh, was on 60 minutes. I think it was about 15 minutes. They're really beneficial. Uh, and frankly, it's new to a lot of people, right? There's a lot of, oh, stuff absolutely. That, you know, we think we get it, but there's, there's a lot of info there. And, and, and when you combine what you were talking about earlier, quantum computing with the continuing uh, expansion of Moore's law of, uh, from storage and bandwidth connectivity, all of those things. It's, it's going to be a pretty extraordinary where, where we go. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm super excited about it, but have you ever seen, there's a website, uh, SEO writing, uh, AI. Yeah. SEO writing AI. It's so amazing, man. You can go in and you could say, I want to write a 
medium blog about the benefits of daily exercise. I want to have a positive uh, professional voice. I want to speak in second person. I mean, it's really extraordinary uh, for, 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 you know, obviously nothing proprietary. There's just, you want to go down some rat holes, John, uh, go, go to, there's an AI for that.com. They'll, there's over, there's over, there's over 10,000 AI. It's, 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 it's crazy for tasks, right? What four or 5,000 different tasks. And, you know, I definitely, that's how I think of AI being most beneficial, doing tasks that I don't want to do or can't do. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I certainly use AI to, you know, comb, you know, basically combs all all news sources and articles and consolidates and filters and, and gives me information because there's too many sources of information to, yeah. uh, to consume and, you know, only so many hours in the day. Uh, and and going out and crawling every news agency and every podcast and there, you know, I'm pulling stuff and say, oh, this based on what you've done before, this looks interesting to you and provide it back to me. That you know, that that's certainly value. Yeah, that's, that's, I agree. you know, time has great value. There's a, a another program called Gamma, G A M M A Gamma dot app um, for creating presentations. In fact, I, I, it's so funny because I do a, a, a presentation live where I show this and I interrupt myself with a phone call from my boss and I've got it all set up where, oh, you want me to create a presentation? When do you need it? Oh, I can't, no, I, there's no way. And it's going, building right behind me on the screen while I'm saying, no way, it's going to be next week. And then I, okay. And then I put my finger up and go, just one sec. Yeah. Hey, John, make that tea time this weekend. Yeah, I'm free all weekend. (laughs) And it always gets a good laugh. It's pretty fun. Remember, I don't know, you're you're younger man than me. It seems like I say that about everybody. Um, (laughs) But uh, I remember when Aldous PageMaker came out. It was in 1985. Okay. Mm I mean, and you got to just realize what a profound release this was in the world. Now we just, well, it's, it's, we scoff, right? It's so ridiculous. But back then to be able to create a, what's known as a compound document with graphics and text, it was amazing. It was amazing. And when, when that, capability came out i remember you know the forecast was oh man everybody's you know going to be out of business that does design you know everybody that's in the printing business is going to be out of business and each time completely wrong because there's still a skill that's required you still have to have a design sense and a capability right um but still extraordinary capabilities at our fingertips and i just look at some of the things as very similar to that you know enabling and and i guess where i was going with that is in the same way that everyone could make a menu 
and a compound document back then. Today, now with AI, everybody can write code. Right. E everybody can write HTML. Right. That's pretty. You cool. can write. It is. And, and um, doesn't mean you're know, understanding it and it's going to run. That's that's exactly <laughs> it. I, I watched it. I watched the developer go. You know, I say I'm going to let AI write the code for an application, a game. Um, and you know, and he walked through the iteration, and I, I was struck by the AI would generate the code based on what he asked for, but he had to know what to ask for. He had to right. know to ask for the UI. He had to know, he had to know to ask for the an event handler based on what your yep. what the person fed back in. So yeah, the AI shortened the path for a developer who already knew how to develop to get from zero to an application. But somebody who's coming in cold wouldn't have even known what to ask for. So, you know, the AI had the capability to do that, but it wouldn't have done it for everybody. You, you yeah. needed to know something to start. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's sort of like um, AI can, can write words for you, but if, if you don't know the alphabet, uh, yeah. you, you, right? You right. ha, ha, you don't know what vowels and consonants are. I mean, right. what do you ask for, right? So I I totally understand and agree. But it seems for for a student that wants to learn how to code mm -hmm. and wants to learn how to uh, you know um, write in Python. Uh, the combination of the two, I think that's where I see a real acceleration and benefit, sort of like sure. if I want to, I want to replace the headlight on my Range Rover, right? Yeah. And where did I go? Of course, I went to YouTube, you know, the right. University of the Globe. Uh, everybody, you can, and I found it, my year, somebody doing it, sure. man, it made it so much simpler. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think of in, in the same way, um, if I'm a developer uh, or I want to be right. watching on YouTube, that's not I mean, but if I could actually run it through some AI and get AI to help really beneficial. Right. I mean, it seems to be an sure. accelerant. Oh, absolutely. Something like um, the a new development language. Would you know if you were an experienced developer in one language and you didn't know another one, you didn't need to, right? AI is going to write the syntax, it's going to write the code. You just need to know what to tell it to do. Yep. And if you already know how to develop an app in one, you, you know how to do it. And so you, you you know the 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 focus needs to not be on on the detail, right? You're able to 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 develop an application at the at broad strokes and let right. the let the AI handle the detail. Yeah. Um, obviously, there <laughs> that has its own danger, right? <laughs> you don't know everything that it's doing, um, but uh, but you know if uh, if it speeds the application to to be able to test, and you can test it and move forward, you, you know you could certainly um, move forward much more quickly. With, yeah, and which is what everything we've talked about so far is. You know, everything keeps accelerating. This is just yeah. another tool to accelerate yeah. change. Somebody was talking about how, you know, machine learning, deep learning. I mean, that's really uh, where we uh, cyber uh, defenders 
are going to beat AI. LLMs, I think, are going to be a boon for the bad guys. Uh, for example, uh, being able to iterate uh, uh, phishing mm -hmm. constructs to find out which one performs uh, more effective and then right. go and duplicate that, for example. Another one I think is, you know, the hunt, retrieve, and then re-hunt. For example, I, I, I get in and check out Truist in every port I can, every poke and ping and sniff and snort I can, so I can find out every company's products or as much as I can find out about a company's configuration, the versions, the products they're using, right? And the minute I can do that, we know vulnerabilities are, are what get exploited, Right. So the CVEs sure. that aren't patched. Right. So I see this a much more aggressive equation where I'm using AI to hunt you down. Right. I'm going to find out exactly everything about you. And then I'm going to go back and do some homework to find out what combination of tools. Right. Are the highest probability for me to win, you know, right. and that's something that we're going to have to be. I think really on the watch for. No, I, I, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think to, to combat that capability, we need to be looking at new cyber tools that are leveraging, <laughs> leveraging AI in a similar way, right? We need to know what data is being collected, who, what, you know, what ports are being scanned in a way that you can't, a volume that, that a human can't look at it, right? You need that you need, at the same time as something's collecting data, you need to be analyzing the data collection and see, yep. oh, it looks like someone's targeting this particular approach or this particular yep. system or yep. whatever, this combination of systems, um, you know, uses like that, that type of defense, uses like, um, you know, uh, fraud detection, right? Pattern matching yep. and, and building uh, for for credit card fraud and for, yep. um, well, you know, look at, we're going to have to get way, way better at mm -hmm. detecting fake because right. deep fake voice, deep fake video. I mean, AI generated fake mm -hmm. is on the rise. Sure. And when we combine it with the aforementioned quantum computing and storage and bandwidth, the connectivity and compute, it's only going right. to get higher fidelity only getting to get better and more effective. I think they say now, if I have three seconds of your voice, John, I can make you say anything I want with AI. Well, well, now you have an hour of my voice, Grant, so I hope you're not going to do that. <laughs> Boy, keep an eye out for those commercials. <laughs> but, you know, that's what, that's one of the reasons that um, my partners and I founded a lot, not to you know, talk about and something. Uh, like, no, you know, I'm pitch glad it, you pitched my company, but no, please but that, do. You know, we, we need to, we, we want to make sure that, that, um, you know, that venture funds are getting directed towards cybersecurity startups that are, that are innovating in the ways to protect, you know, our infrastructure, our national, our national defense, yep. our international, um, you know, just our, our, our environment. Um, yep. we're so interconnected and, and dependent, um, what's more important right now in, in the world, uh, where 
you know, look at, first of all, digital transformation, you know, that's a journey, not a, sure. not a, not a destination, right? Because when you get there, you're going to go, you're, you're, you're going to just continue to that, that, that's a, that's a hamster wheel, sure. man. We're going to continue to be transforming and it's all digital. So what's, I mean, I just don't think there's much more important to really scrutinize than your own security infrastructure and moreover, the vendors you're choosing. Right. Because the vendors you're choosing have to have a, a perspective that says, I understand my job is to secure, so my stuff's going to be tighter than anybody's. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have fewer CVEs than anybody. But that's not a widespread belief. It doesn't seem uh, not that, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, if a human built it, you know, there's, there's something wrong. But that just seems like something that should be scrutinized more than uh, it, it necessarily is on the part of, you know, the customers and who they end up buying, you know, because sometimes sex and violence attracts, you know, all the lizzy cool uh, things on the UI. But anyway. Yeah. No, Listen, this and, is and definitely vendor management is important because a lot of high profile breaches have started from a third party because there's, you trust that third party in ways that you might not, you know, trust someone else. And you assume from, you know, maybe the first time you contracted with them that that their security posture remains in line with yours. But, you know, years may have passed before yep. you've really done a deep dive to see if they're necessarily still doing the things that you would do. Yep. Um, and and you, but we can trust them with, with API connections or with, um, you know, with internal network access or all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things. All that stuff's changing big time. The whole supply chain. I mean, we we learned a lot from Solar Winds. But hey, listen, I I've had you for a long time, uh, and I really appreciate this. Has been fun bouncing all around, uh, chit chatting, and I really really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Um, you're, you're very welcome. I, I appreciate the invitation, Grant. It, it's always yeah. good to get an opportunity to, to chat. We'll have you back, I promise. Um, hang on, let me sign off here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and do. I mean, I just absolutely love this. Uh, we've had a fantastic conversation with a highly seasoned cloud IT cybersecurity executive, one that really knows this stuff, John uh, Sargent. Thanks, John. Really great having you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks, Grant. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, share, like, tell your friends, listen, and come on back. We'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Thanks so much. Uh -huh.